I could turn on my microphone. Let me go ahead and get ahead of myself. That's right. Now, a couple things before we get started. We've talked about it for a few weeks, and I've got something to add to it today. Make sure that you are planning to join us, not this Wednesday, but next Wednesday, May the 17th, for our kickoff marriage ministry event. It is going to be in our fellowship hall. We're going to have some fun. We're going to have couples of all generations all in one room. If it turns into a cage match, it'll be kind of fun. But we want to hear from everybody what your experiences are. That is the purpose for us to join and grow together. Now, something for you ladies specifically. On the off weeks that we are not having our marriage ministry, Miss Michelle is getting with the ladies, the ladies group, the ladies uh, ministry will be getting together and having three times, May 24th, June 21st, July 19th, that you also will be having a time together to do some Bible study, to have some time of fellowship during the summer when we're taking off from our typical Wednesday nights. Also, starting at 6.30, make sure that you mark those down on your calendar. If you miss it this time around, I'm going to mention them again at the end of the service. Now, if you've got your Bibles, we are getting close to the end. The light is at the end of the tunnel. We are almost done with 1 Corinthians. Some of you may say, Amen, Hallelujah. Go ahead and turn to 1 Corinthians 15 today with me. Before we begin reading, let's reflect just for a minute on the last few chapters that we've discussed. Chapters 12 through 14, they are very much linked in the way that we look at the proper and improper use of our spiritual gifts. Now, Paul also brings it to a point in a church service, how they are to be rendered, how they are to be prepared and executed without distraction and with order. He discussed the attitude that we are to have in worship. Not allowing our pride or preference to take over our purpose of being here, which is to worship our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now again, as we've said almost every week up to this point, it's because of the melting together, the joining together of all these culturals and, and cultures and different backgrounds and different pagan beliefs, it has developed a couple of issues within the church that they're having to iron out. They're wanting, they're learning how God sees and expects our worship to be. So moving on now to chapter 15, much like the other aspects of Paul's letter up to this point, Paul is having to take on yet another issue that's going on within the church of Corinth. Well, God, Kyle, it seems like that all this church is and all this church knows is all these issues. Well, have you never been to church before? I, I don't know. But anyways, now... There seems to be a misunderstanding up to this point. Now we covered just a small portion of chapter 15 during our Easter service a couple of weeks ago. We covered just the first eight verses and that is when the apostle was re-establishing their foundation, their foundation of faith and our foundation of faith as well. It was the gospel cut and dried in eight verses. And it wasn't so much that they were misunderstanding or misrepresenting the gospel per se, but they were worried about what comes after the gospel. That's where we'll pick up at this point today. There's some confusion because of their various backgrounds and viewpoints, again, as to what takes place because of the gospel. Now today, our goal in three parts is to dissect a proper understanding of a Christ-centered 
resurrection. Christ-centered resurrection. What we all look forward to at the end. Let's read. Let's pray together. We're going to split this text up over three parts. So, we're going to begin at chapter 15, starting in verse 35. We're going to read a big chunk of it during this first part. Here we go. But someone will ask, how are the dead raised? What kind of body will they have when they come? You fool! What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And as for what you sow, you're not sowing the body that will be, but only a seed, perhaps of wheat or another grain. But God gives it a body as He wants, and to each of the seeds its own body. But not all flesh is the same flesh. There is one flesh for humans, another for animals, another for birds, and another for fish. There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the splendor of the heavenly bodies is different from that of the earthly ones. There's a splendor of the sun, another of the moon, and another of the stars. In fact, one star differs from another star in splendor. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. Sown in corruption. Raised in incorruption. Sown in dishonor. Raised in glory. Sown in weakness. Raised in power. Sown a natural body. Raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. So it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. However, the spiritual is not first, but the natural, then the spiritual. Verse 47. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. Like the man of dust, so are those who are of the dust. Like the man of heaven, so are those who are of heaven. And just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we will also bear the image of the man of heaven. Let's pray together. God, there's a lot to chew on. There's a lot to understand. Forgive us, God, of our lack of understanding. Forgive us, God, of our lack of the depth of knowledge that we have. But you are the one that guides us and leads us through your word. Oh God, reveal to us what it means to live out what is in this text today. We need you, oh God. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. First point of today, what we just read. We are looking at the resurrected body. The resurrected body. Now the Corinthians were undoubtedly struggling with this concept of resurrection and what it means for newfound believers in Jesus Christ. Now more than likely, what they were being taught in church would totally fly in the face of what they had grown up learning. Now remember, all the different cultural backgrounds, you've probably got the extremes on either side. You've got some people who would have been raised with some of the Egyptian background and mummification, that you've got to preserve a body in order for that body to go into the next world. But then you've also got in this same crowd, in this same congregation, people that would have been Jews prior to conversion. They could have even been Sadducees. And what we know about the Sadducees, they didn't even believe in a life after death. 
So in the midst of both of those, we've got to fit together and cram it in what it is to be a believer. What it is to mean and understand what a resurrection truly is. And how does Paul go about it? In a loving, bless your heart type of fashion, Paul calls them a bunch of fools for thinking this way. Okay. Now, and like he's done for the entirety of the letter, though, up to this point, he gives yet another illustration for these people in Corinth to wrap their heads around. Now, Corinth, as we've said, it is a centralized hub. It is a city that has lots of different things coming into them. There's lots of different cultures, lots of different people. But prior to them being this big, huge, ginormous city, they were an agricultural society. They still understood, even though this is centuries after the fact, they still would have known what it means to have a seed. How to plant a seed. Even though most of their stuff now would have been imported, what happens, they know, to a seed when you plant it? The seed dies. The seed breaks down and is no more. It dies for something else to rise out of. Now, the Merck manuals are a medical reference book that's been used to cover a wide range of medical topics since 1899. It's been around a long time. And it describes some of our natural aging processes in this way. Most aging effects in various forms begin around the 30-year-old mark. Uh, some of us have surpassed that 30 years. Just throwing that out there. Now, let's take a look at some of the ways that we begin to experience aging in our time. Bones begin to come, become less dense, meaning that they become weaker and much more likely to break. The ligaments and the cartilage that hold the bones in place and help them function, they also will start to wear down because of years of movement. Muscle mass, in general, starts to decrease around the same amount of time. Some of it due to inactivity, but then other muscle mass starts to decompose because of overactivity as well. The eyes, first it begins with near vision. Then you need brighter light to help you see. And then comes the change in color perception. The ears. Hearing loss is going to occur based on the overexposure of sound in preachers that yell too loud. Higher pitched sounds become more difficult to hear, followed by the general inability to hear people in a crowd because there's too much noise going on at the same time. Skin. Skin loses some of the muscle and fat matter that goes on underneath it. So it makes it less able to stretch the way that it used to. It makes it much more fragile. It causes it to tear much more easily. And injuries are more likely. The heart and blood vessels, they become stiffer. The heart fills with blood more slowly. The stiffer the arteries are, the less able they are to expand when blood is pumped through them. So the more likely you are to have a higher blood pressure. The brain. The brain is able to compensate for some of the loss of cells that occur over time. And even as people age, nerves may be able to conduct some signals, but they conduct them a lot slower than they used to. And usually this change is so minimal that people don't even notice it. But then as nerves begin to repair themselves, they do so at a much slower pace as well. 
Meanwhile, we won't even get into some of the ways that other parts of our body age. Nobody, I think, wants to get into our favorite part, how the digestive system begins to change with aging. Yeah, okay. But don't worry. Every single aspect of aging, we are all going to experience at some point, and the best way that you can slow down these symptoms is of course through a healthy diet and consistent exercise. Notice that I said slow down because guess what? You could be building yourself up to be Mr. or Mrs. Universe and have 0% body fat, but guess what, Jack? Your body's going to decompose anyways. Even the Bible tells us that the training of the body has limited benefits. No matter what you do, Praise Jesus, here we are on a Sunday morning, it's going to happen to you anyways. I don't care how much makeup you put on it, it's going to happen anyways. Because our body is nothing but a seed. Our body is nothing but a seed. And if you weren't aware, based on the medical sciences that we have, our bodies are corrupted. And they're going to break down. Our bodies are dishonorable and we have to cover them. Our bodies are weak and no amount of work will reverse the full weakness that we have. Our natural bodies, because they are natural, they're going to do just as other natural things in our world. They're going to wither, decay, and die. Death is not a matter of if, but when. And that's the bad news. But Paul doesn't stop there. Paul doesn't stop there. Death is coming. Because we've all descended from Adam. When Adam first succumbed to sin, he became sinful and carried the responsibility for sin. And we were all doomed. Kyle, I thought you said this was going to get better. Well, hang on a second. Because he couples the seed, the natural body, with the heavenly body, we know that another body will come out of this one. A body that is incorrupt. A body that is glorified. A new body that is raised in power. This is the better body, the spiritual body that we await to come. How is it that we go about getting this second body? Well, we've got the first one, the broken down one from the first Adam. So now let's switch gears and let's shift our focus to the second Adam. Let's read a little bit more. Beginning at verse 50. Pick back up your Bibles. Here we go. What I'm saying, brothers and sisters, is this. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor can corruption inherit incorruption. Listen, I'm, listen, I'm telling you the mystery. We will not all fall asleep, but we will all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we will be changed. For this corruptible body must be clothed with incorruptibility, and this mortal must be clothed with immortality. When this corruptible body is clothed with incorruptibility and this mortal body is clothed with immortality, then the same that is written will take place. Death has been swallowed up in victory. 
death is your victory. Where death is your sting. The sting of death is sin. And the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Yeah, y'all set yourselves up. Why do we have verses like this that we get so excited about? Why do we have verses like this that we like to whoop and holler about the promises that are going to come? It is because we have evidence of this taking place in Jesus Christ. Our victory, I feel like I'm saying this somewhere, our victory is in Jesus. We know that we can have a physical resurrection because He had a physical resurrection first. His appearance three days after the event of the crucifixion was not some type of a psychedelic experience. It was not some type of a spiritual higher level of consciousness by His disciples. They were not merely seeing ghosts. They saw Jesus as a man. Thomas even stuck his fingers into the man's hand and stuck his paw hand into his side. Gross! Why he did that, I don't know. But he walked with these disciples. He appeared to over 500 of his followers. And here's what that means. When Jesus Christ was hanging on the cross, when he declared, it is finished, that was not lip service. That was not to make it sound good. But here's what the resurrection gives proof of. It proves that he lived a sinless life and he didn't need to die. It proves that his sacrifice was and is sufficient for us. It proves that you and I too can have a physical resurrection. When we sing of that victory in Jesus, this is what we mean. We will be changed. We will be made new. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, I'll be going home. Maybe I know that, but y'all don't. But anyways, okay. Now, believers in Jesus will receive a new body that is way better than the one that you currently got, and it will not perish. Yes, we're going to look different. Yes, we're going to be different. And from that first part of the text that we read, we won't even all look the same. But it doesn't mean that we're all going to look alike. We will still have distinguishing characteristics that are specific to us. They're specific to you. So you're going to know who you are. You're going to know who other people are. And when they get their resurrected bodies too, you're going to be able to decipher who those loved ones are and perfectly worship Jesus together with people that you love. Come on, Kyle. From a theological and doctrinal perspective, I'm going to slow down and teach you just a little bit. We must understand that these verses are discussing the final resurrection, the end times resurrection. When our bodies die, we are not immediately a resurrected body. Our soul, our spirit, will be present with the Lord when we are absent from the body, according to what 2 Corinthians 5.8 tells us. But that bodily resurrection will take place at the end. This is consistent with what we, what we read throughout Scripture. I can spit it out. Here we go. The very last chapter, very last verse in the book of Daniel tells us this. But as for you, go on your way to the end. You will rest. And then you will stand to receive your allotted inheritance at the end of the days. This is what Jesus says in John chapter 6. This is the will of Him who sent me, that I should lose none of those that He has given me, but should raise them up on the last day. 
For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in Him will have eternal life, and I will raise Him up on the last day. We didn't cover it in this chapter, but Paul, earlier in 1 Corinthians 15, puts it like this. For just as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ, the first fruits, and afterward, at his coming, those who belong to Christ. Listen to me. Get this. We'll make sure I read it right. From the promises that we have, from someone who promised that he would die and resurrect himself. That same man promises that we will be bodily resurrected on the end day. What does that mean? We can take it to the bank. That's good news. And the apostle writing, inspired by God to do so, he even downgrades death in these popular verses that we just read. Not just mocking it, but in a way rendering death powerless. But also because it carries with it the benefit that sleep provides. And many people want to argue. They look and they pick and they take apart. Well, what does sleep mean in the Bible? Especially what does it mean in the New Testament? Is there some kind of sleep that's not really death and we're really in this state or we're in that state? And is this really purgatory? No, 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 no. When we see sleep recommended, when we see sleep put in the context of Jairus' daughter, when we see sleep put in the context of Lazarus, we know that those people die. How dead was Lazarus? He'd already been in the grave four days and he was starting to stay. That's how dead he was. So why didn't compare it to sleep? Why not just say that they were dead? Because through Jesus, because of the accomplishment of Jesus, their deaths and our deaths are only temporary like sleep. There will come a day when we get completed that victory in Jesus with our new body no aches, no pains, no hunger, no fatigue, no fear, anxiety, depression, no dementia, no Alzheimer's, no COVID, no cancer. That day is coming. Finally, a perfected, glorified body that will perfectly worship our perfectly glorified, perfect Savior as perfect Lord of all. But look at me. We ain't there yet. We're not there yet. We long for it. And while we wait on it, we've got work to do. Now, this was a poor sermon plan. Why in the world would you split up a text in three different ways and only leave one verse left over? I did it on purpose, I promise you. Let's read the last verse in the chapter for point number three. Here we go. Verse 58. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, be steadfast, immovable, always 
excelling in the Lord's work. Because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Let me put it to you another way. Most of you look like you're alive today, but if you've got breath coming in and out your lungs, you kind of hear what I'm saying. If you are still here on this earth and alive, you've still got work to do for the Lord. Amen. Here's your sports analogy of the day because I know you've been waiting on it. You know, basketball and football, they have a game clock. The clock starts when the game starts, and the game is over by the way that the clock ends. Praise God, God's sport, baseball doesn't have one of these, but we're going to talk about the pitch clock here in a second. That's its own sermon. We ain't going to get there yet. So, in actuality, before all these new rules were implemented in football and basketball, you can score enough points and get enough touchdowns, and then you can just get the ball and hold it. And hold it until that clock ran out, and you'd win the game. But you can't do that nowadays because enough people cried foul, pun intended, and now we have a play clock in football. You've got a shot clock in basketball, and yes, they've instituted that pitch clock in baseball. But here's what those mean. It means that you cannot just hang on to the ball and sit and wait for time to run out. If time runs out, you are penalized and they give the ball to the other team or you get a strike or a ball called on you. You are penalized. You can't do it. I hate to tell you, but I see a lot of Christians that are sitting and waiting on the sidelines with the ball in their head and they're not working. That pitch clock's running out. That play clock, that shot clock is running out. What's the point? It's against the rules. It's not what God has designed for us. We are not called into getting saved and then holding the ball until time runs out. You're not being the church if all you're doing is going to church. Verse 58 is clear from our understanding of Jesus Christ's resurrection, the victory that we have in Jesus. We have a resurrecting body and a resurrecting attitude going forward. While we wait, we are consistent in our walk. While we wait, we are immovable in our faith. We are to be, get this, in our work for the Lord knowing that we don't do it for no reason. Let me ask you a question. Is your attitude towards God's work excellent? Do you have an excellent attitude towards doing God's work? Are you excellent in the way that you love your neighbor. In the way that you go out of your way to resolve conflict with a brother or sister. Are you excellent?
to consistently follow God's Word, know what God's Word says, and then to be excellent in doing God's Word. Are you being moved and swayed by the events of the world? The world that will pass away with our earthly bodies also passing away. There's a song by Elevation Worship. It's been out a handful of years. You may like Elevation Worship. You may hate them. You may love them. You may love them. I really don't care right now. But, boy, let me tell you this. hits the nail on the head. The chorus goes like this. By your spirit I will rise. generation we call them children we call them our kids every now and then and our job our purpose is to live a resurrecting life that shows them discipleship somewhere in the Bible it talks about training a child up in the way that he should go that is our charge and yet even as a, a middle-aged 
adult, as an adult with a parent and children and all that, guess what? We've got to look out for these senior adults as well. We've got to take care of these widows. We've got to make sure that we're listening to their wisdom, that we're gleaning from them their past experiences. We're learning from both ends of the spectrum because that's where we are right now. Hey, senior adults, just because you feel like you've got one foot out already, it does not mean that you get to sit on the sidelines either. If you are not physically able to serve, I totally understand that. We know that you've already spent your youth, you've spent your physicality serving in the past. But let me tell you something. Don't miss out on this. If your mind is sharp enough to complain, then your mind is sharp enough to be the biggest prayer warrior that's in this church. Pray over your generation. Pray over now. Whether you're a senior adult, whether you're a parent right now, whether you're a child right now, guess what? I know I've read it somewhere in the Bible too that we were made to be put in this time for His purpose and not for anybody else's. Don't pass the buck to somebody else. For all three generations, nowhere does it say, I've done enough. Now let me sit and critique what everybody else is doing. Nowhere does it say that. But James does say this. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but does not have works, can such faith save them? Six verses later it says, Senseless person, are you willing to learn that faith without works is useless? Do you love God? Do you serve others? Do you show grace? Show us. Don't tell me. Show, show us how God is in the process of resurrecting you right now as we await that final day when the resurrection is done. Last part to go ahead and come on. And as we transition to our response time, God is called. God is prepping you are you here? And you've never admitted to sins. This whole idea of resurrection is totally foreign to you because you don't even know what it means to follow Jesus, to believe in Jesus, to have a relationship with Jesus. If you've got questions, if you're unsure, come find me. I'll be right here on the front row. We'll walk you through, we'll talk you through what it means to admit that we are a sinner, that we are separated from God because we couldn't be perfect, but God is. We believe that Jesus Christ is Savior because of His death, because of His resurrection, and we commit to following Him as Lord and Savior of our lives. It's no longer my life to live. It is His life for me to follow. Are you aware of salvation? But you're convicted today that you are not living a resurrecting life. It starts with action. Pray and confess to God. 
Understand the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Come pray at these altars. It may mean walking across and having a conversation with someone else, asking for forgiveness, seeking out why something went wrong, having some maybe awkward confrontation. But do you know what that means? It means that you're following God's Word. When we live out God's Word, we are living in obedience. And that is our goal. Turning away from sin. Turning away from pride. Surrender in obedience. To follow what He says. Let's pray. Oh God, praise be your name. That Jesus was resurrected. We are promised a future resurrection. And now in the midst of it, You are resurrecting us. Lord, when we pray, make us more like You. When we pray that You must increase and we must decrease. God, when we pray that our faith should be partnered with works, we depend on You. We need You, God. To show us. To motivate us. To encourage us. Through the gifts of Your Spirit. Through the fruits of the Spirit. Lord, grow those characteristics within us. So that we can make a difference in our current generation. In our current time. For Your good. And for Your glory. Lord, we love You. Oh God. We seek to love you, to serve others, and to show grace. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. As we sing this last song, I ask that you stand with us and respond as God is calling.
real quick as I mentioned to you earlier. Not this Wednesday, next Wednesday, May the 17th. If you are a married couple, you are invited. Come see us at 6.30. Bring your kiddos. My, my wife and I will be in the gym with them. We're going to be playing golf. We're going to be playing cornhole. We're going to be running around. Bring your bikes. Bring your scooters. Uh, we can't promise. June the 21st, and then July the 19th, Wednesday night, when we're going to be together, just the ladies' ministry. If you've got questions, you can see Michelle Daniel on that. I love you. When we get out of here, we are too. Thank you so much for listening to Grace Baptist Cartersville podcast. If you would like more of Grace Baptist Cartersville, make sure you check out our GBC Young Adults podcast. Also, make sure to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and our services on YouTube.